You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with the Dr. Jess O'Reilly. And I am here with the We Vibe Wand. You hold that like you're going to do something dirty to me with it. So this wand is, this is not sponsored, by the way, looks like an oversized microphone. If you're familiar with the Hitachi Magic Wand, which is a back massager that has been around for decades and has been used for non-back massage purposes, this is, in my, in my opinion, an improvement upon that wand by my friends over at WeVive. And it's, it's just this beautiful beast that I was going to sub in for Brandon's microphone, but I was too late. It looks like that thing is ready for pleasure. Yeah. And the, the Wee Vibe wand, you guys should check it out. You can go Google that, is causing a little bit of a, a storm here at my house because... We have. We've had a number of people ask to see it, to touch it, yes. what it's all about. And let me be clear. I don't leave this big sex toy out on my coffee table. It's just that Carlisle Jansen from Good For Her was here a little while back and she, I guess people haven't seen it yet. So she mentioned it to someone else who mentioned it to someone else. And then someone came to drop off some equipment at my house unrelated to sex toys. And she's kind of standing in the doorway. This is, this is a, a friend, but I ha- a friend from social media, but I haven't met in person. And she said, well, you have something I want to see. And I said, oh, well, I'm, sh- I'm sure I do. <laughs> Anyhow, she said, I want to see the wand because Carla was talking about it. And now I've been carrying the wand everywhere with me. So make sure you check that out. It's the WeVibe wand. Totally unsponsored. Just thought I'd share that with y'all. I, mean, I thought you were going to say, I could show you the wand, but Brandon's upstairs playing with it. Yeah. <laughs> mm, you can later if you'd like. <laughs> okay. It's nice all over the body. So today we're going to be talking about a number of topics with our special guest, Evgenia from Spirit Sex Lab. So Evgenia is an accredited energy therapist, a sex educator. She studied at the world's premier hands-on healing program. What is that? (laughs) What is the world's premier hands-on healing program? It's called Barbara Brennan School of Healing. It's located in Miami, and it's a four-year program, really, really in-depth in terms of healing approaches and also personal growth, personal transformation. Oh, okay. And so it's not just about sexuality, although that's your area No, of yes, you study um, a lot of things. Uh, second year focuses on sexuality, and uh, also my sexual guidance comes from uh, seven years of experience in polyamory and the kink world, so I kind of uh, build on that as well. You've just written a book called Alice in Polyland, yes. and I have been flipping through it. First of all, it feels nice between my fingers. <laughs> I'm big on textures today. I didn't do any drugs. It just <laughs> textures doing it for me today. And so each story is an erotic story. Is it based on real life? Yes. So each story is based on real life experiences, and uh, they span different types of um sensual experiences from kink to um, threesomes, group sex, to spiritual sexuality, uh, domination, submission, and uh, just exploring polyamory and the emotions that come with that. And these are real stories that that you've experienced? Yes. And after each story, you offer some practical tips if people want to live out a similar fantasy. 
Yes, because I noticed that um, some people are curious about experiencing different things, but they don't know where to start. Some people would like to have ideas in terms of what fantasies to play out. So just wanted to give them kind of safe way to lead them and guide them into this world of sexuality, spirituality, and playfulness. Now, you've been married for 25 years. Yes. And for the past seven, you've been in an ethically non-monogamous relationship, so polyamorous relationships. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about that opening up process to move from, I'm doing the math, 18 years of monogamy into this last seven-year period? Yeah, oh my goodness, it was fun. Um, (laughs) I have some funny stories to share on that. Um, I come from very conservative background, um, Russia, Soviet Union, there was no sex, there was no masturbation. Um, And uh, I met my husband when I was 19. Yes, and uh, throughout um, our years together, I kept on falling in love and in lust with people. And I was always honest about it, but just didn't act on it because we were monogamous. And I thought there was something wrong with me, definitely. I spoke to my friend. I'm like, listen, I develop feelings for other people. She's like, there's something wrong with you. You need to seek therapy. I'm like, like, okay. I like that your friend reinforced. Yes. There's something wrong with me. Yes, there is. (laughs) The friendipist. The friendipist. There you go. So I went to see a therapist and I, and he said, no worries, we're going to fix it. <laughs> so we worked together for four years. And um, I started uh, sort of the personal grow- growth in the process. I enrolled in the school. You have to see therapists 18 times a year there anyways, because you really need to focus on your stuff so you don't project it onto others. Um, and four years later, there was a funny story. He said, listen, I'm um, in love and in lust with you, the therapist. And he wasn't going to act on it, but it just became so obvious, you know, the counter-transfer and the transference that typically happen like it happens a lot in therapeutic relationships but it kind of gave me that light bulb it's like oh my god there's nothing wrong with me you know and he was also married and so I started reading more about polyamory and uh, just speaking to people and then I realized hey this is who I am so the therapist disclosed this to you? He did. It just became too obvious to not, yeah. But not then you to. didn't see him as a client anymore. No, no, yeah, we stopped. He he couldn't handle it. Like he, uh, yeah, we just basically disengaged. Wow. Yeah, I would have thought that'd be problematic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and just unethical. A bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So you that was four years into therapy. How much longer did it take you to move into the world of polyamory? Um. I think uh, maybe a couple of years later, I started, yeah, like I realized I need to experience this. Like there's no way, you know, I have to, I have to learn more and experience different things. And we started a really gradual process and I always recommend people to do it gradually to not jump into it. Uh, so we saw a marriage counselor, made sure that we had great foundation, that we discussed a lot of things. We went really, really slowly in terms of opening up, um, not jumping into anything serious. We also hosted a couple of couples that were practicing polyamory. Uh, and spoke to them. So it just, I think it took us about half a year at that point when we decided to open up. Right. It's not a, a quick switch. It's not the yeah. flick of a, of a light switch. It, it's interesting. You talk about feeling like something was wrong with you and your friend telling you something's wrong with you and even your therapist trying to fix you. Right. Uh, with, with a totally unpredictable ending there. And when we talk about monogamy, you often hear the term toxic monogamy. And so I know that can be really upsetting for people, but toxic monogamy refers to a monogamy in which monogamy is your only choice. It is the sole, universal, only valid option. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with monogamy. Monogamy can work for many people, but when it's forced down your throat, 
it can be pathological. For sure, I completely agree with you. And I love the concept of a sort of a, having a spectrum of relationship types in front of you and then choosing one of them, right? So monogamy, and then I love how you did your talk on monogamish, right? And then you could go a step further and maybe do play partners, which don't even have to be sexual, right? But if somebody is into kink, that could be something they may want to do and then moving more into maybe swinging and then going all the way into polyamory, which includes not just the sexual connection, but the emotional as well. I think it's beautiful to know all of the options and then pick the one that works. And some people work beautifully with monogamy. Right. And it's not a linear ascension necessarily, right? There's not this notion that, well, we did this one thing, so then we must do the next thing. Uh, you said something quickly that I just want to get some clarification on. You mentioned play partners that can be non-sexual, and this would be in a kinky setting. And I think everybody thinks that kinky means some sort of sex, but it's far more complex and nuanced than that. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. I think uh, yeah, a lot of people equate sexuality with kink, but all of the kink parties that I've been to, most of them actually are non-sexual. And uh, kink would be so powerful without adding the sexuality mix into it. Domination and submission, sadomasochism, bondage. Um, it could be incredible. To me, it's like uh, a playful experience that we kind of lost from, you know, being children. Why do we not play anymore? It's so much fun. And also it adds a dimension to your play, right? It's not just physical, but it's like all of a sudden you come up with all sorts of ideas and uh, you play with emotions and it's just such a huge range. Right? That emotional kink is my type of kink. I, I think that the sex that I have isn't necessarily physically kinky. I mean, it is at times, but there's always been this emotional kinky side, even from when I was a really young sexual person, like in my in my late teens. So what does kinky sex mean to you? Um, to me, it's sort of a combination of, um, I think I consider myself sapio and like demisexual. So it, it combines the multiple dimensions of us, right? It's maybe there is an idea, there is a role play, maybe there's something that triggers you intellectually that really gets you going. Like to me, it's so exciting to get somebody aroused without even touching them, right? Just kind of coming up with an idea or connecting with them emotionally to the point where they get so vulnerable that it's actually healing. I think it could be really healing as well, and uh, including sexuality, uh, spirituality into it could be another element as well. So it's just kind of adding the levels and the layers um, to connecting deeper. That's what I love the most. And you, you mentioned two terms there that I just want to flesh out for folks. So the first was sapiosexual. How do you define that? I like that you look at me when you say there's two terms that we need to flesh out. <laughs> but yes, please. <laughs> l l do it for all the listeners, not for Brandon. <laughs> I guess uh, the way I would de um, define sapiosexual would be um, somebody who needs to be stimulated intellectually, not just physically, in order to get into the mood. And demisexual, somebody who needs more of an emotional connection. I mean, I think to some degree, almost all of us falls into these categories along the spectrum somewhere, right? Because, I, I mean, I always say that every experience is emotional, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. not just sexual. Yeah. Not just sex, sexual experiences, but when you go to the dentist, it's emotional. When you order your coffee, it's emotional. When I drink this this glass of water in my hand right here, so I'm holding a glass that is a heavy, heavy crystal. And for some reason, I love to drink out of a heavy crystal glass as opposed to, say, a paper cup. And there's there's an emotion to that. 
I'm just glad that you didn't say you feel sexual at the dentist because I wonder what they're doing that you like so much. Uh, I know actually, that's a thing. It's a very common a fetish, a very common, sorry, a very common kink to enjoy dental work. So I was in a really cool dungeon. Uh, I did this event in, in Switzerland in, uh, maybe it was last year, and this group rented this absurdly high-end dungeon uh, outside of one of their main cities. And when I say it was high-end, I mean it was like a beautiful loft that you would love to live in. And the owner had converted it into a, a kink play zone. There was a dental room. There was, a, you know, a, a gas mask room. There was a room where you could do suspensions. There was a room with a clear glass toilet so you could watch peeing and pooping if that's what you're into <laughs> there was actually a room with a clear glass bench it might have been plexiglass or lucite or something like that with a hole in it so that you could go to the bathroom and if someone wanted to lie beneath you I don't know how I entirely got to this but oh I was starting with the dental work and <laughs> and the group I was with was not kinky uh, most of them and so they wanted to learn about this in a kind of a very private setting and they were very confused by the dental work but I have a number of folks in in my circle uh, of friends and colleagues who are quite into dental play. Do you run into that often? Very cool. <laughs> I haven't run into dental play, but hmm. yeah, there's such a huge variety of kinks. Exactly. It's incredible. Now, you've written many stories as part of your compilation book, Alice in Polyland, that people can find on spiritsexlab.com. And you're going to share a story with us today. It's a, a kinky story, a play story. Is it a group sex story? Um, this one is a kink party, actually. So there was no sex, but okay. it's mostly uh, sort of kink and yeah, BDSM. Okay, great. And I think it's a good reminder, too, that like sex means different things to different people. So some people can become really sexually aroused from activities that we don't generally consider, consider sexual. So I'm going to shut up and hand the mic off to Evgenia to share her story. And the title is Decadent Play Party. All right. It was a party to remember, a medieval dungeon space. The torture chamber held so many tools and gadgets that Alice was in complete disbelief and awe. Was she in a dream? Or better yet, a nightmare? A tall, beautiful, dark-haired woman was bound to an X-shaped cross. Her elegant partner had an arsenal of floggers and crops. He was delivering the hits in gracious and rhythmical movements. Pleasure on her face was undeniable. At times, he would connect with her to sense into her world, only to resume the sensual dance fully engrossed into the new and exciting rhythm. Upstairs, boudoir space contained a few scenes, one of which was a road suspension. A young woman, bonded and suspended in the air, floating as in trance. The experienced rope monster playing with the energy of tightness, gravity, and flight, weaving fantasies into reality and connecting the ropes into exquisite, restraining patterns. A handsome tall man with dark, wavy hair dominated his partner in a school-themed room, Using two floggers interchangeably, he created a mystical twirling energy pattern. Tantalized by this scene, Alice couldn't move and just sensed into the frequency. The feeling was that of decadent trance, sensual and fluid, interconnecting dance of energy. For a moment, she almost felt envious of his partner. For the first time in her life, Alice was witnessing a pro-dome playing with a man. 
He was tied to a medieval chair, completely helpless and at her full disposal, neck, wrists, feet, coughed into a position. She took a flogger and began the sensation play, confidently with a smile, in a calculated professional manner. She gently increased the sensation, slapping his nipples, thighs, feet, crotch. The man was stoically taking the pain until he could not silently do it anymore. He started making sounds, low growling, masculine sounds of an animal. Alice intently felt the scene. An almost motherly and caring notion came over her. She wanted to free him, hold him, rid him of her, even though she knew that he was enjoying this play. To her great surprise, Alice was aroused at the same time. The energy with which Prodome dominated him, how she opened his leather underwear front pocket and exposed his penis, how she played with him roughly. There was a mix of pain and pleasure, torture and care, black and white. There's no white without the black, thought Alice. There's no light without darkness. Light is only made apparent by the shadows it costs. Perhaps the real pleasure comes in, con in contrast to pain. A tantalizing whirlpool of emotions and sensations. Definitely a party to remember. So in each of these stories, we're witness to Alice experiencing a sensual or erotic or sexual. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes like a painful, emotional, painful experience of, I don't know, sharing her partner for the first time or, you know, jealousy. So, so the things that you experience as you go through as you're exploring polyamory or kink. And are these, are these your stories? Are you Alice? Yes. Yeah. So in the scene world, I'm Alice in Polyland. That's my scene name. And so where was this kinky party? What city was it in? This was in Toronto, actually. And there's a beautiful location downtown Toronto. And is it a private club or a public club? It's, a, it's like a private party. Yeah, and people uh, rent that, uh, that place and they create all sorts of scenes there. And if people are interested, where do they even begin? How do you look for this in your city? Um, the best website, I would say, is fatlife.com. Um, if you register there, you can see all of the events that are happening. Uh, you can also go out to munches, which are sort of non-sexual non um, events where you can just meet people. Um, and there are a lot of different parties that are happening all over. Um, and uh, I'd be also happy to guide people into different kink parties. I provide private tours to kink parties and sex clubs. So that's also another alternative. So let's start with the munches, because munches are just get-togethers like you might be at a hamburger joint <laughs> or a pub and what are you what are you talking about yeah it's usually a pub um and uh, it's maybe about 30 40 people um usually you just connect as you would with with anybody at, at the pub and then you could maybe then deepen into more of a discussion of kink if that feels comfortable to you you may also be able to meet like-minded people do the conversations generally start pretty light and then deviate into, I shouldn't use that word, but do they then kind of veer off into the kink play that you're interested in? I'm just thinking as somebody who hasn't been to a munch before, if I were to go, what would I, that initial conversation would be like, hey, Evgenia, how are you? Like, what's new in your world? And then somebody just starts talking about 
the kink that they're into? Is that how it works? Yeah, I guess they would feel into it, right? Just with anything. Um, that, I guess that's the overarching interest of people. So eventually you would probably ask, what are you looking for here? What brings you here? And you may dive into, hey, you know, I'm looking to experience this or I would love to connect with the, with this person. But sometimes people just come out um, just as friends and they just hang out together and they just talk about kids. Right, just life. Yeah, just life right. in general. Because yeah. you can be kinky and still just have your regular job where you're a teacher or you're a gardener. Definitely. So if you begin with a munch, we often recommend that people begin with a munch because there's no pressure. You're at a regular bar where there is not a scene like you just described right. in your story. Yeah. And then you can get to know people in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, you can probably find out about upcoming events. Yes. Uh, you had mentioned FetLife.com and being a great place to go That's register. A, yeah, a great resource for sure. Yeah, And you can also meet people online there as well and just kind of research, um, look into different profiles, meet people that way as well, and learn about different kinks as well. There's a um, breadth of information there. That's one of my favorite things about kink communities is that there's this ongoing learning and really clear communication, oftentimes, with regard to what you want. So if you if you put in your profile on, on Tinder or Grindr or where else, you know, on any of these dating apps, you're not necessarily saying what you're into specifically. But I do find in the kink world, people are a little bit more specific, not only with our likes and dislikes, but sometimes with our identities. And so if you were to move from FetLife to a real life club, do you recommend people go to a club with a tour guide like yourself for the first time? Um, like a kink um, party? Yeah. Yeah, I would, I, I would definitely suggest that because it's sort of a softer landing, right? Um, I usually do guided tours where it's just a small group of people and I talk about kink, I educate them, and then we do a scene, usually a fun scene when I bring a model and we can experience different things together. Like one of our scenes was um, I was teaching prostate stimulation. Then there was a girl who was like into tickling, so we did tickle torture. Um, and it's fun for people to see how you can discuss the boundaries because uh, we all go through the list of uh, yes, no, and maybe and uh, with the model and, you know, I ask her what is okay for me to do, what is okay for the participants to do. And uh, so they kind of learn that way and then they can stay at the party and enjoy it. So it's a bit of a softer landing. Yeah, I think it's a really great idea. Anytime you're going into a new environment. So if you're going to go ski for the first time, any new, no, but any new skill or a foray into new territory, you generally go with some sort of a guide. Even when I land in a city, I always try and find a guide to show me around, show me the architecture, show me the history. And I don't think we, I don't think we take the same practical approach to anything erotic or sensual because we're just not as practical about it. So you do these tours at mm -hmm. clubs all over Toronto, but if people wanted to bring you into their city, they could also do the same where you could connect with the club and take them on a on a tour of a specific evening mm -hmm. yeah, very cool sure. so and they're going to find you at spiritsexlab.com for that's that that's perfect yes so if we go back to our story there was a lot going on yeah there there was and i can only imagine how that was w was that story based on one of your first experiences in the kink world like i think this was like my first kink party Ah, yeah, yeah. and what stands out most significantly about that memory? Um, I was just uh, incredibly moved by the energy that people exchange, like how vulnerable their experiences are, how moving, how emotionally um, attached they were to each other in, in cases where they were regular kink parties, right? uh, kink, kink partners. Um, 
I was also amazed at, I guess, the depth of the exploration you can see at a kink party, right? There could be rope, there could be impact play, there could be domination submission. Um, and I always try to be open and non-judgmental in terms of like every single experience that I see. So there could be some pain, um, all sorts of different things, right? Um, and it's just great to push, I think, that uh, open the envelope, push, push the boundaries uh, and just step out of your comfort zone a little bit. I think it allows you to grow as well. So many people practice kink in private, but it's also something that we can engage in in public. Do you think there's a real advantage to going to a kink play party as opposed to just practicing at home? I think so. I mean, um, I think um, a big part of it is also exhibitionism, right, which a lot of people enjoy. I had myself uh, incredible moving experiences with kink and doing that in public and being seen in that. And uh, like one of the experiences was this person who introduced me to the scene. He's like, do you feel comfortable being naked? And I'm like, well, and he said, why don't you undress and slowly walk around the swimming pool and make eye contact with people? And to me, it was an incredibly moving experience. I was like, oh, my God, it really affects the way you feel and your confidence and imagine having a scene where people are watching you and and you're having this intense experience and you're making an eye contact it's just like it takes it to a next level i think it's just incredible in terms of personal growth and um, learning more about yourself and of course kinky sex like all sex requires some preparation so if you're brand new to this you're hearing the story what is the how-to? What's the first step in terms of figuring out what you're into and how to communicate that to partners? There's actually a great test online. Um, if you Google what kind of sexual deviant am I, you will find that test and it just gives you sort of basic questions and at the end it's going to come up with a black screen that gives you your percentages. It's a very common test that people take and then post on FetLife profile. So it's an easy way to identify who you are in terms of the BDSM uh, and the BD stands for bondage and uh, discipline, then there's domination, submission, and then there's sadomasochism. So you kind of identify what you're into a little bit um, and then you could go to play parties and watch people play and also talk to them and see what you're into as well and make sure that you're going very slowly and that you're staying safe um, make sure that you know the person you're playing with there's usually a dungeon monitor at every party which is the person who's responsible for safety so make sure you're playing in front of that person um, and um, just learn as much as you can about your preferences and yeah just go slowly and if you're going to start using equipment it's not as simple as oh i'd like to use a whip let me get a single tail whip and pull this thing out you need to be shown how to use these tools for sure yeah take a workshop or um, what another great thing about the kink um, scene, as you mentioned, people will teach you. So there are a lot of, let's say, dominatrix or more dominant people or like tops who will be happily teaching you to use a web or showing you things, um, sharing with you all of their toys and explaining what they are. So that's also another way, but definitely need to invest time to learn this. It's like an art form. It is, and the toys are... There's an endless array of toys from, from knives to cups to electroplay uh, to, to whips and floggers and all the different apparatus. So it's not as simple as, oh, I just want to, you know, I think people think I want to be kinky today. Mm -hmm. And of course, kink is however you see kink, right? Mm -hmm. I, I always hate the idea that vanilla is a pejorative, right? Like, like kinky is cool and vanilla is boring. It's just this big, not even spectrum, but a web, mm -hmm, right? And mm -hmm. you can locate yourself anywhere on that web. Right. But what, uh, what specific tips do you have based on the story you just read us? 
Well, actually, let me uh, take a look at it because each story does have practical tips. So here I'm suggesting to learn more about negotiating scenes. So there is a will, won't and maybe list that you need to go through. And these are things that you will definitely want to try, things that you may want to try and things that you definitely will not do. There is a CSS protocol, which is consensual, safe and sane. Uh, so you need to make sure that all of the activities are consensual and safe um, and sane. I'm also recommending to get a mentor. And um, there's uh, usually a code of contact that uh, um, you need to learn about. A dress code applies to a lot of kink parties, rules. Um, and also keep in mind that sometimes um, kink parties have different themes, right? So if you're into something specific, let's say dominant women, submissive males, right? There is a theme for that. Or maybe if there is rope um, experience is what you're looking for, then uh, there is a theme for that. So just kind of look for a specific party. And rope play is so beautiful. It's such a gorgeous art. And th these are exhibitions that you can go observe at many sex clubs. These are incredible. Yeah, okay. for sure. You can do so many things with rope. Um, suspensions just look like an art, right? Where you, you change the person in different suspension. Have you guys heard of connective rope no. experience? It's incredible. It's the way the person applies rope. It's so sensual. The way they would like run it against your neck or like against a nipple or how they sensually or roughly apply it, right? It's like they can channel the domination submission into it or even like a sort of a pain component if that's what you're into. So I love the connective rope. You know, I often recommend that every person, couple, throuple group at least consider going to a sex club. But I think it would be useful for every single person to go to a kink party because of all the, I think, subversive emotions that are involved in kink, right? So when we think of sex, we think of like love and and pleasure and excitement and passion but we don't often think about all the other feelings that are tied to sex for many of us and i've, I've talked about this before for me jealousy mm -hmm. for some people humiliation right for some people degradation sure. and i think we're really missing out so yeah. i certainly recommend that people not run off to a kink play party tonight but at least consider it even if it hasn't been on your radar but it also these kink scenes that you just made reference to also outline of a lot of other elements that you've talked about with in relationships is like communicating like having <laughs> mm -hmm. do and don't lists yes. have your do groups um but you know playing out all that was a brooklyn 99 reference for all my all my brooklyn oh, 99 do fans group. do groups instead of task force task force but it's just the idea that you're communicating Cut. all this in advance so i get the feeling that even if i was nervous going to a, my first kink party or my first party in the kink world that a lot of the terms would already be predetermined before I even arrive, which would likely alleviate a lot of concern about what's going to happen or what's mm -hmm. going to play out. For sure. Right? Yeah. Now, another topic that you talk often about and you've written about in Alice in Polyland is energy orgasms. Mm -hmm. And so you do work with energy. What does that mean to be an energy therapist? Um, so... The quantum physics um, tells us that we're all comprised of um, large vibrational fields of energy. And so if you really kind of feel into that idea, and, and there is like 99.99% of space in us, so we're not really matter. And we take ourselves for granted. We think that, like a lot of us, we just kind of look at ourselves and we think, oh my God, it's like, this is matter. But really there is a lot more consciousness um, inside of us. Um, and so... 
if you believe that line of thought, consciousness is primary and matter is secondary. And so everything that happens to us, all of the, let's say, blockages that we uh, create, all of the thought patterns or all of the belief systems, they could all be located on the energy field, in our energy field, in our energy center system. So we can learn to sense into it. Uh, we can learn to track it better. Uh, we can experience it and connect closer to ideas like uh, spirituality, for example, if that's what you're into. And you can also use that energy to experience energy orgasms, which is this profound multidimensional phenomena. You can do it touch-free and it's just incredible. And um, you just feel like you're one with the universe. Um, you may experience uh, deep union with your partner and so, so many different things. How much practice does it take to have one of these? Just because as someone who's never had that I know of an energy orgasm, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it's really worth it for sure. Um, in order to receive an energy orgasm, like it typically takes me six hours to teach the person um, and they can do it themselves. Usually nine out of 10 people at that point will have an orgasm. There are people who may require more time just because they need to kind of become more sensitive or tune into the energy a little bit more. Sometimes they have blockages that are preventing the energy from like moving all the way up. So the energy may kind of get stuck in the throat. Um, so, but typically, yeah, like three sessions of two hours gives you all the theory and practice. And so when you say touchless orgasms, are you by yourself? Are you with a partner? Are you with a group? You could be completely by yourself and uh, have this experience. You could have it with a partner, then it's really amplified uh, and you feel incredible depth. Um, it could be in a group and then it's even stronger, right? So we don't have six hours, but where do we begin if we want to explore touchless orgasms? I have um, quite a few videos on my YouTube channel that outline different steps um, that you guys can watch at home. But uh, basically, it's a combination of um, tuning into sense energy a little bit better. Do you want me to take us through some practical exercises? Yeah, you do had, we have time you had talked that? about a multidimensional body scan. Does that fit here? Sure, yeah, we can do that. So can you tell us what that is and then maybe give us a mini version? I know normally that would you know take half an hour, but uh, what is a multidimensional body scan? Yes, yeah, so the body scan is uh, when you close your eyes and you start breathing kind of slowly and you just tune into your whole body starting from the feet and going all the way up and you basically notice what is happening inside of you on four different levels. So it could be the physical level, it could be the energetic level, it could be emotional level and also you're scanning for any thoughts or anything like that. Um, and uh, I usually use it in the first portion to teach the person to um, track the energy a little bit better and also identify any type of blockages that they may have. And you would be surprised at the things that you see or notice or experience. Do you think we could try that for a couple of minutes right sure, now? Just yeah, to, um, again, that. it's going to be a bit of a truncated version, but do you want to do it, babe? Let's do it. Okay. Okay, great. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes if that feels comfortable for you and plant your feet on the ground. And usually it's best to do it either laying down or just sitting up with your spine straight. And folks, you can try this right now as well. Beautiful. And I want you to start by taking a few deep breaths into your tummy. So a slow breath in and then hold for a little bit and a slow breath out through your mouth. Another deep breath into your stomach. 
and hold for a little bit and then slowly breathe out through your mouth and now I want you to start focusing on your feet so just start breathing out of the soles of your feet and as you're doing that, I want you to start noticing any type of physical sensations that you may experience there. So just notice if you feel coolness or warmth. Maybe you feel moisture or dryness. And also where your attention goes, this is where the energy goes. So I want you to start sensing into the sort of energetic level that may feel maybe like pressure or tingling. Perhaps it feels like heaviness. I want you to start focusing on that connection that your feet are making with the floor. And I want you to also visualize as though you have a mind screen in your head between your eyes and it just kind of allows you to see things. They will just come to you if they need to show anything. So I want you to start now journeying up your legs and so you're going to scan your lower legs and just notice all of the physical sensation maybe the tightness or how relaxed you are and also feel into the space around your lower legs so just notice that kind of frequency the energy all around you just tune into a slight slight vibration perhaps and also if you can see anything on your mind screen as well. And typically you start seeing more as you come up to your upper thighs and your outer thighs, your inner thighs. We're going to scan your buttocks and the perineum. Just get in touch with your genitals and the lower stomach. Just kind of notice what it is that you see or you feel. Let me know if anything is um, speaking to you, if you become curious about anything. Are you noticing anything, Jess? Anything in your lower stomach or the perineum? The, mm -hmm. I have some tension in my left leg. Mm -hmm. My butt feels good. <laughs> it feels relaxed. Great. <laughs> Which maybe it hasn't been for a little bit. Uh -huh. So purposefully bringing my attention to it and my breath to it mm -hmm. feels good. And so when you're scanning through sort of the lower stomach, the, the lower back, that type of area usually energetically contains a lot of blockages that have to do with shame or guilt, any type of judgments around sexuality, anything that's preventing uh, the flow of energy. And as we're moving up to the solar plexus, this area is responsible for the self-esteem, the self-confidence. The heart area is responsible for connecting with our loved ones. So just let me know if you're experiencing anything or noticing anything interesting or maybe seeing something interesting there. Um, babe, I don't know if you want to chime in. I can say I have a little tightness in my chest that's been hanging out for about a week. I have a little bit of tightness in my chest, in my heart, but that's because there have been moments of sadness 
over the last year. I also thought a couple of really weird thoughts when we first started. Mm -hmm. I thought about marbles and broccoli. So I have no idea where my brain is going, <laughs> but it's, I need some help, apparently. Oh, great. Now I'm thinking about broccoli. I, I hate it's broccoli. Like, it's all you're going to think about now is marbles, broccoli. <laughs> And we're going very quickly, right? And we're all also talking about all sorts of things. So it's a bit hard to, to focus. But what Brandon has um, kind of um, mentioned, the, the pain, the sadness in the heart, right? That's what we start kind of discovering. The tightness, as Jess said, and then emotions. And as we dive into them, um, I typically ask people to give it a voice, um, to tell you why it's there, to try see an image of who's speaking to you. So you kind of dive into a deeper exploration of different emotions and different parts of you that live inside of you and where that comes from. It's deep. I know I feel heaviness, uh, not just tightness, but heaviness and sadness. And uh, it was one year ago right now that our, our dog was diagnosed. Um, and we started the treatment. Don't touch me, babe. <laughs> He's touching me. And so the last few days have been hard. I haven't been super sad over the death of the dog. It was last April, so eight, eight or nine months ago. But right now, the last week, I've been really sad over it. And so mm -hmm. that makes me tighten my chest. Um, it makes me tighten my pelvic floor as mm -hmm. well because I hold a lot of tension there. Mm -hmm. That's a great awareness. And uh, it's been affecting my sleep, which affects, of course, your body, right? Like if you don't sleep well, you wake up with a, well, I wake up with a sore neck. Whew. Yeah, so each time you encounter something painful or scary, just kind of keep breathing into it and keep exploring that space. And let me know what that looks like for you, that pain that lives inside of your heart and also in your pelvis is there a visual that comes up is there a voice does it say anything maybe this sounds silly truthfully all i'm thinking about is my pomeranian yeah her little shape yeah i also have a lot of excitement in my body yeah where does that live in you uh, in my chest too oh yeah what does yeah. that look like and what would it say if you were to give it a voice uh, like it taking off a plane movement uh-huh change, thrill, adrenaline. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. It's something. <laughs> and so normally you'd spend probably 30 minutes just on this? Yes, we would. And we would also kind of learn ways to deal with it. So you could learn to, maybe you could try to... Um, open up your heart if you want to try it with me if you could start breathing into your heart and just visualize this beautiful you know um, maybe your your dog or your loved ones like anyone um, who brings joy and love to you so just start creating that inside of your chest and blooming it out just like the flower expanding that beautiful love unconditional love out into the universe and also sending into all parts of you that are hurting. And let me know if it's changing your state of being a little bit. Let me know if anything is happening as you're doing that and if you're able to access that. I like that visualization of mm -hmm. breathing like a flower blooming in the chest. 
opening up my shoulders and my chest does make me feel a little lighter. Yeah. I also think about my physical comfort. And I'm like, oh, I want to take my bra off. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a reminder how much your physical comfort is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you open your heart center, sometimes you may feel a lot of pressure, openness, right? And it just kind of allows you to sense into the energy that lives there. And um, that could be very healing. What I think is that if, if I had more time mm -hmm. and maybe more privacy, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> fewer microphones, um, this is something I, I can use and I, can, I need. And I've had over the past couple of years a couple of opportunities where I felt mm -hmm. really comfortable in a space and I felt this huge release mm -hmm. um once was over the summer at the us now conference a sexual health conference for women of color a very small focused conference in Hamilton Ontario and I remember just feeling kind of an outpouring uh during a similar exercise mm -hmm. a body scan mm -hmm. Um, I think I'm able to feel more, of course, when I don't have a responsibility to anybody else. Yeah. You know, I'm talking here for other people's benefit as well. Yeah. Uh, but I still certainly feel emotional. You can see I'm, of course, wiping my tears away, yeah. um, which is <laughs> typical for me. But I think I, I need to create more space in my life just to be in my body mm -hmm. and feel what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. I think for me the language might be different mm. from energy, mm -hmm. um, but the feeling is probably the same. Right. I think that like, yeah, maybe I'm an English major, English teacher. I, language means so much to me and words obviously mean different things to different people. So I think that maybe, I, I don't know what the word is for me. Um, I think it's sort of like a presence mm -hmm. and a real mindfulness. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the language that appeals to me. Yep. I don't know about you, Brendan. I really enjoyed the first half after I got over broccoli and marbles <laughs> and focused in on how I was feeling. But like you said, when I got to the the upper half of my body, I felt a lot of tension in my chest. But mm -hmm. what I noticed was I think because we're in this recording setting mm -hmm. that I pushed back. Of course. Because I think yeah. that if I really did lean into those feelings, I yeah. too have been, you know, had my days and my moments, quite a few of them over the last year, having had lost our dog that I would probably break down. Yeah. I would. And yeah. it's just, so my response right here, right now was to push back yeah. and just to not go there. Of course. Yeah. It's, so. a, it's a very vulnerable experience and it could take you very deep and then it moves things, right? Because emotions, they're like energy waves and we need to process them. We need to let them go. And then when they leave, there is more space created for um, whatever else you want to kind of fill it with. Um, I have a free meditation on my website. Um, it's a body scan. So if people want to download it, they may enjoy it as well. It's like 20 minutes of me walking them through the body scan experience. And we'll, we'll put a link to that as well. Uh, it, when we take this back to experiences of sex, and, and sex meaning not just pleasure and orgasm, but connection, right? Because sex really does mean a lot of different things to many different people. I can see how this type of exercise applies at least twofold. I'm sure it applies in many ways. But for me, I think about in preparation, kind of preparing your body if this becomes a part of your daily ritual or weekly ritual, mm -hmm. right? Whether you do it for a minute at the start of the day or you yeah. take 30 minutes once a week, whatever fits into your lifestyle, mm -hmm. I can see your senses being heightened 
mm-hmm. your body being more responsive and more potentially open, mm-hmm. but then also knowing when you're not. Right. So it's not just about welcoming pleasure and welcoming connection. It's also just about knowing where your body is and being able to say, like, not today. Of course. Today, I don't even want to snuggle. Yeah. Right. Uh, So I see it applying there, but I also see it applying in, like, not just being a foundation for sex, but applying in sexual experiences. And you had mentioned that you also do an exercise for connection. Mm -hmm. That is something that we, we could further explore. So... Like every episode, we get to scratch the surface and hopefully encourage you to keep the conversation going. I really feel that that, that's what I can do. I can give people permission to explore a broad range of topics, even if not every single one is for you. And I can encourage you to keep the conversation going. So I encourage you to to keep exploring. Um, I certainly encourage you to check out Alice in Polyland and Spirit Spirit Sex Lab for some of the resources on your website, your YouTube channel as well, Mm -hmm. if this is something you want to explore. And I also want to just offer an additional encouragement, sort of for people like me, if you feel off put by like the language of energy, or if it's not your cup of tea immediately, that's when I would suggest you explore it just a little further. Because sometimes I think when we resist things, it's because there's something in it that scares us and can be more powerful and more moving. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. So thank thank you you folks for listening. Thanks, babe, for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, we'll be back next Friday and every Friday with another episode. Wherever you're at, have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. 